Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. Recent article flat out says it cost Ukraine double the drone cost to shoot each of those boogers down. But that's simplistic, and healthcare has a lesson from this simplicity, of course. Ignored is the opportunity cost. That is, how much to replace what might have been destroyed by that evil Russian drone. There's human life value that has a cost, emergency services, recovery costs, and to rebuild the cost. And the morale cost is a soft cost, but it's so, so it's not really truly double the cost of the drone, like the journalist said. There's a great big win for Ukraine by valiantly shooting down these missiles, and Israel knows that too, and that's why they invest heavily in these iron domes. So every day you stick with your legacy, quote-unquote, good insurance at work, you're also missing out on several lost opportunity costs as if you could have had direct care. Number one, your paycheck is deducted, your share of the medical coverage costs. Direct paired with health ministry plans for these big scary costs is going to still deduct nothing compared to what you're paying in premium. And it'll at least save you 20% and could save you as much as 60% like it saves me the last seven years. We call that a raise if you stop payroll deductions for healthcare. Number two, 85% of all claims never get past the deductible. So the true cost is not just your premium. It's that $1,500 to $5,000 sniggering deductible, depending on the size of it. So that is also an additional opportunity cost capture because Direct care has no deductibles. Copays also go away. So let's chip in another $25 to $50 per episode of care. And long-term soft costs are skipping care. 60 million of us skip medications because 179 million covered in the U.S. Of those, 60 million can't afford their plan. We call this functionally uninsured. You have a Porsche, but you don't have any gas or oil to drive it with. It's too pricey to take out of the garage. That's most people. Well, that's the 60 million that has a plan, but they can't use it. So remember, 51% of America makes under $15 an hour. And shockingly, 62% make under 20 bucks an hour. So America is an hourly economy, folks. And most of those folks do not have the liquidity to meet these sky high deductibles that are averaging over $1,500 for most plans. So 60 million are functionally uninsured twice the number of the actual uninsured in America that we hear about every campaign year. Another lost opportunity cost is not having a dock in your pocket like a VAD for the last seven years. For free consults, we all have one in direct. It's a relief to not have to wait in exam rooms and go in and miss work for every tiny little thing. The fear as a surprise bill is the last one, and it simply does not exist in the direct universe. We in direct care are 25 million among the covered 179 million. And none of these 25 million will ever see a medical bankruptcy, nor will they see a surprise bill because it's all covered with monthly subscription costs. $88 billion is what today's collections are in in medical debt. And that affects almost one in four of Americans. It's just a shocking number. 
If you have a $5,000 deductible, yet you have under that amount in the bank, do you even have insurance? That's one of my favorite quotes that I got from guest Dutch Rojas, who's been a three-time guest. And so it's another lost opportunity cost. And this is what I consider really the biggest one. And today's guest is going to delight in this one is your company is missing out because direct care costs them zero. In fact, it's a moneymaker. That another way, direct care offers a return on investment, an ROI, of one-to-one year one. Yes, one-to-one is free. It offers three-to-one as much as two-and-a-half to three-to-one by year three, which is a 300% return. And if you add in the soft costs, according to the largest study of its kind out of California last year, it shows a 10 to 1 ROI. If you want to learn all about that study, listen to Randa Deaton of PBG&H in California. So if you can influence change at work, this is data, not opinion of Ron Barshop. These plans are net winners to the bottom line. They contribute for the company. I'm going to give you an example to show how big a contributor. Most Fortune 500s are not going to want to care about a, a little bit of health care savings, 20% here, 60% there, although they should. But Walmart saved a billion dollars in 2019 using just one of six or seven different direct strategies. They use what's called centers of excellence. And at their margins, which are super low, that's like not having to open over 700 stores. That's what healthcare savings as a net contributor looks like, is you don't have to hire all that team to generate all that revenue. And the reason this is an unstoppable movement is because this is the only model in America that cuts out the bloated middles who are profiteers and shareholder beholden. They simply don't care about the rest of us, these bigs. We in direct care live in a future where everybody wins, not just the bigs. And the best place to meet the ecosystem, the leaders like today, are on this show. All right, can't wait to introduce you to Apri Health CEO Donald Trigg. So one medical, you'll remember, started with Apple as its biggest customer and lead investor. And Apri Health kind of has the same, but a little slightly different birth. Castlight uh, technology company merged with Verhole Health. And J.P. Morgan Chase is their chief investor and biggest client, just like one medical. So our guest today was president of Cerner and then Oracle bought Cerner. It's a revenue cycle management, as you know, an EMR company. Everybody that works at a hospital knows Cerner and was in the Fortune 500. And they just contributed, they announced today, just shy of $6 billion in revenues to Oracle. He was also in an early stage in, as a coding leader in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, was associated with John Hopkins, and worked in public policy in D.C. under President Bush. And he also authored, around that time, A New Healthcare Economy, and may come out with a second book. So, Donald Trigg, welcome to the show. Any comments before we get going? Uh, well, that was quite a setup. That was fantastic, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm super appreciative. You know, my 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 simple synopsis of, of that really nice framing is the issue that will define this decade is affordability and entrepreneurs who are working on the right side of that equation and tackling the cost curve are are grappling with the problem set that you're describing. Um, and I think you and I uh, define the solution set very similarly. So thanks I'm for really, that. I'm really not surprised. Well, welcome to the light side of the equation in healthcare today. For sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, Apri Health. It's kind of an exciting offering for a big Fortune 100 like more JP Morgan to get involved with because it can be a real game changer for them too. 
Um, what does the offering look like? I know you offer mental health and obviously primary care. Is it on-site clinics and uh, virtual? What is what does the offer actually? What does the offering look like? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, uh, I think we we saw a real opportunity, Ron, around uh, what are strategies uh, that can effectively tackle the cost curve. And we felt like, in particular, that the commercial market is an area that had been under-focused on from an investment thesis perspective. But I think there are some things that are unique to commercial that make it look different than, say, Medicare Advantage. So the first thing we feel like you have to be able to do uh, in the commercial market is provide a differential level of digital first engagement. And so we took the Castlight Health capability set uh, which really grew up around price transparency and empowering consumers around uh, visibility to price capabilities, but highly penetrated in large Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and we think best-in-class digital capabilities specific to healthcare. And so that's really how we decide de define the start of our flywheel. You have to be able to engage the individual uh, because we see a, him or her as an active participant in care team design. Um, the focal point then was tying that to advanced primary care. And so we uh, got a business called Verhole Health. Uh, they started direct to employer in the on-site space that really pivoted into outcomes-based primary care. And we felt like those would be the foundational elements that would allow us to say engagement plus advanced primary care to begin to drive differential outcomes. And then finally, to your point, I think whenever you're trying to uh, activate a flywheel strategy like this one, you have to have what we call a driver client, someone who has that same shared mission um, that can be uh, a driver of revenue, can be highly referenceable and be a powerful influencer of other decisions. Uh, and importantly for us, help us drive through and think through solution market fit. So um, that is J.P. Morgan Chase, um, and this really became central to how they thought about continuing to advance their ambitions around fixing U.S. healthcare and, and tackling the cost curve um, after some of the work around uh, their collaboration with Amazon and Berkshire uh, didn't um, gain the momentum that they were hoping for. Yeah, it's interesting. Jamie Dimon has said publicly that... Uh... It's embarrassing American healthcare outcomes compared to the rest of the world. We're right uh, between Slovenia and Costa Rica in our outcomes right now. Well, uh, I don't know Jamie Diamond well, uh, but he he is. Uh, I'm a, a a longtime, multi-decade reader of his shareholder letters, like Buffett. Um, his thinking on the big topics that matter to the United States is 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 world class. And uh, his commitment to really try to do something meaningful around healthcare uh, is part of the origin story of our company. So um, uh, we've been lucky to host him in our Columbus market. Uh, and, he, and he, like anything, he digs in to actually understand how it works and impact. Uh, and they've been an amazing partner to us um, uh, over the last several quarters. Okay, so it's, it's obviously digital health, digital first, call it. I agree with yep. that primary care, it's um, mental health. Do you offer occupational health as well? Yeah. Um, so we, we believe pretty deeply, like, do, let me do kind of principle frameworks around how we think about, because lots of people talk about advanced primary care 
what's that really look like? Um, and, and what do you really believe in? I think for us, um, uh, you know, Barbara Starfield's construct is very formative for me and my thinking around this business, but yet you have to have the capability for first contact. So what's it look like for me to engage with Ron? Uh, what's it look like for me to put you into uh, an integrated care team model that's comprehensive? Um, and for us, we define both coaching and integrated BH as part of our integrated care team model for sure. Um, but we really feel like that the, 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 the primary care uh, uh, and that provider integrated care team model is pivotal. And then we think a lot about coordination uh, we think about that against use cases like the one you described in the introduction, which is what does it look like for me to be able to coordinate diagnostic activity, drive strategies around med adherence, but also what's it look like to your point to have true independent primary care around things like specialty referral. Um, and so it has to be coordinated. And then we're looking for opportunities around continuity uh, so that we can have those multiple points of engagement and multiple touches. That's where I think the integrated care team model is pivotal, particularly in commercial. We know that when we interact with someone digitally or through our tech-enabled services five times or more, their uh, ED avoidance is better, uh, their adherence around medications is higher, their ability to take next best action relative to specialist activity is exponentially better. And so... Uh, that continuity of relationship, we think, is really important. Uh, and then finally, you know, I, I, I talk with our providers, uh, and I think they exemplify it, about compassion as sort of an additional um, uh, C in my model, which is, you know, do we really understand the challenges individuals are facing, uh, and are we helping them solve them? And I, and I loved in your introduction, Ron, you know, I think we are not as sensitive as we need to be around um, how affordability is adversely impacting um, decision-making around health and care. Okay. I love what you have to say about that. So I want to get into the numbers in a minute, but before we do, if I'm a member of APRI Health, um, do I have to pay any kind of fee of any kind, any copay deductibles, any kind, anything at all? Well, you're you're um, you're gonna in the case of like a J.P. Morgan and a Columbus market, you're operating inside um, the framework that's been established for benefits to button designed by J.P. Morgan, and so they're providing those on-site near-site capabilities as a component part of plan design, um, and then um, they're incentivizing certain benefits design attributes, say like behavioral health. Um, to try to drive uh, utilization around it for a uh, member population uh, that needs it. So I'm still paying my premium to, or I'm having a deduct payroll deduction. Right. As if nothing's different. Okay. Right. Right. And, and then JP Morgan is just paying y'all, I guess, on a per member per month basis. Uh, yeah. So we uh, are, are, are inside a uh, uh, kind of basic uh, PEPM uh, framework, but also with performance guarantees. So we're thinking about, uh, to your point around opportunity costs, we're thinking about what's it look like to impact total cost of care. And so we have discrete performance guarantees around uh, a screening activity that we know is important relative to cost of care, uh, health equity measures that are important to us in terms of how they think about and define their mission and strategy around health equity and SDOH. 
And then we also are actually looking at um, how the imputed relationship, Ron, is performing against the cost basis of uh, individuals that don't have it. So there's a TCOC calculation that's also part of the performance guarantee framework. So we're we committed to, to uh, what it looks like to actually measurably impact uh, cost and, uh, and ultimately see ourselves moving towards a framework uh, where we're taking not just shared savings, but actually taking downside risk on beneficiary uh, and a population. It's hard to do that as sort of a first day feature of the of the model, but but that's our ambition. Okay, so I can either virtually 24-7 tag into APRI Health, or I can go into an actual clinic. If I do the clinic, do I get, is, is some of my deductible used for that, or is, is it free visit to me? No. It's it's free. It's you you have access to that clinic footprint. Um, okay, perfect. And, um, uh, you know, in, in a in a model you're very familiar with. So it, okay. it, it looks just like that. No barriers. That's awesome. Okay, well that explains sixty seven percent engagement. You have um, how many potential members and how many actual members that are coming in and getting involved, engaging. Uh, so the the N in Columbus is is about uh, twenty eight thousand lives. Um, the population there is a little bit larger, but we think about APC access in terms of proximity uh, to the facility footprint uh, that we have. Um, and there we operate in a partnership, not only with our so we have our on site clinics and our near site clinics, but we're also in a partnership with Central Ohio Primary Care who is sort of a best-in-class independent primary care provider. And so it really gives us a nice level of uh, uh, access uh, and uh, PCP capacity in market. And so that's what it looks like. Uh, we've got about uh, a quarter of the population that is using uh, the on-site near-site footprint. And then we've got a portion of that population that also is sitting in imputed PCP relationships with Central Ohio Primary Care that predates our presence in the market. Yeah, we've had the leader of COPC on our show. Oh, you have? Bill Wolf? Yeah, yeah Bill's been on the show. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Bill, Bill is fantastic. Uh, I wish I had listened to that. Um, I apologize. Um, so uh, the thing I would say about that, Ron, is I think a level up from COPC, I think that's part of what, you know, uh, we believed uh, in putting the company together, which is um, there's a set of, of independent primary care leaders in the market, predominantly who had had experience with Medicare Advantage, who were looking to do something similar in commercial. And so we saw that as an opportunity to think through how do you go build out a network in a market? Some of that may be me building out physical centers. Some of that may be me operating in a hybrid model. We also think there's a virgin where we're, where we're providing uh, digital and tech-enabled services to an existing PCP that has sufficient network adequacy in a market. And so we, we think all three of those, market, th those models are viable. And we think that's part of what allows us to imagine multi-market scale. Okay. Um, and let's talk about your NPS. So this is, I'm assuming, coming from your consumers. 86% of your members, I'm sorry, 86 is your NPS for yep. your members, correct? Yep. So look, I mean, this is, this is a, 
you know it and you and you and you interview guests that that uh, talk about it on every show um people are looking for um convenience and ease of access to trusted relationship and healthcare that will help them make better decisions around a plan for health and care and uh when you provide it you see disproportionately high uh, nps associated with that experience and so um, I, I think our, our our capabilities there are massively differentiated relative traditional healthcare systems. Uh, and I think, you know, there's several players in this space uh, who see those same kind of NPS scores because like us, they're offering something that the member very much wants. Yeah, the high 80s and the low 90s are very common of the guests on this show. We've had, I think, 24 different companies like yours and um, we ask this question every time. So thank you for noticing that. But uh, 86, let's, let's compare it to hospitals. The typical big hospital system is going to be in the low to mid 30s, maybe the high 30s. And, you know, they don't even publish them because they're too embarrassed to talk about it. So uh, in healthcare to have an 86 is like basically scoring, you know, uh, the golden ring. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And 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 I, I think, you know, one of the things that I would just say is kind of back to back to the Starfield construct and back to that my additive component around compassion. I think I just when I spend time with our providers and 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 you know our physician leaders like like Dr. Marla McLaughlin, who's right in the middle of our work in Columbus, they exemplify the the best attributes of of what you're seeking uh, in healthcare from a provider, um, real interest in outcomes, uh, high levels of emotional IQ, and and frankly, around continuity, this kind of ongoing interest in progression of next best step around the care plan. And so um, I think some of that we can be smarter and better about. And on the digital side, I talk about knowledge factor or know me capabilities. Um, so how do I show up and really unlock the potential of that relationship? But a lot of what you're seeing in that MPS score is absolutely derivative of the fact that I think we have a really neat integrated care team model with providers at the center of it. Well, yeah, let's, and for folks that are new listeners to this show, the secret weapon you have is two things. You have virtual care to take away all the time friction. You have no cost. To the member so that's money friction's gone but importantly you can get a half hour to an hour because your doctor's panels are so much smaller than they would be if they were out in the uh, legacy healthcare world how many uh, doctors uh, do you have uh, on staff right now and a hundred percent and and let me just say we kind of state the obvious um but it was maybe more implied in in your opening um which is look if we want to do root cause analysis around what's wrong with u.s healthcare. Uh, we get to fee-for-service medicine very, very quickly. And so once I'm orienting around procedural volume, as opposed to how you and I would define and a member would decide define value, um, uh, you know, those are very different incentive structures. And so um, part of what I think you would hear from our providers, um, if they were participating in this pod, is they love the fact that... Um, uh, we have more orientation around the whole person that they um, have the ability to think thoughtfully about next best step, and they aren't um, uh, trapped in some of those fee-for-service volume-based metrics. 
um, that, you know, um, I've spent a lot of time in the health system setting, uh, wonderful people in healthcare across the board, but there's a certain reality of business model that does impact um, the operational realities uh, uh, of those systems. Look, your customers at Cerner were hospitals, and the, the higher you get up the food chain into the hospital universe, um, you're dealing with so many levels of complexity, so many points of fault, so many, there's no question that we're going to have lots of medical errors when so much care is delivered in hospitals. It's just, it's just a point of lots of failure. You can't operate those things like you operate a, you know, a fine machine. They're very, a lot of moving pieces in those uh, models. Yeah, look, if you're, if you're, um, if you are uh, uh, running into a high acuity episode uh, and, and need complex tertiary quaternary care, uh, you're going to be very happy to be in U.S. healthcare, and those organizations uh, perform miracles every day. Uh, yeah. But um, the reality is, is they are uh, optimized for that complex care uh, that uh, uh, does end up being fairly central to uh, how they balance mission and margin. Um, and we have to have really robust independent primary care capacity that makes it easier for the person to make informed decisions around their health and care, particularly to your point, because of the crisis of affordability that's having an, a big impact on what's not happening that should be. Yes. Um, let's talk about your HEDA scores, 25%, top 25%. So your outcomes are also a big winner in this, uh, in this dark board of success you got. So we're, we've talked about the customer's happy, they're engaged, um, and now your outcomes look like they're in the top quartile of America. That's something to be proud of. That's, that's right, uh, Ron. I mean, it really is a, a proven model. And, and look, we need to prove that it has national scale attributes to it over time. But uh, uh, how we think about breast and cervical and colorectal screening, um, you know, how we get the blocking and tackling done inside those HEDA scores uh, is part of uh, the proven processes, the proven integrated care team model, um, and something that, um, you know, that I didn't create, but... Um, uh, Dr. Kevin Wang and others who were part of the design decisions around that get a ton of credit for something that um, that I think you're right. We we want to be creating the right experiential opportunities uh, for the person, but we also have to be thinking about those correlated dimensions of quality and cost. And I just say one thing, and this is without being critical of uh, a one medical, but you mentioned them. I do think there's a difference between um, putting in highly convenient locations, but then partnering in a framework with traditional health systems. Uh, that's a different model. That means I may think differently about next best action diagnostics and specialty referral based on how I've thought through network design within a geography. So this when they is bought IOR, they confused me. IOR is a fee for service. Well, it's a value based model, but and it's one of the best ones out there. But when you merge, you know, fee for, or let's call it billing and coding with uh, direct care, it just, I think it's, it's not only a hot mess, it's an ERISA violation for doctors that participate in that. It's very tough tightrope to walk without getting, potentially losing your license. So they, yeah, they, they're a hot mess, what they're trying to become. 
Well, well, we'll see kind of where things go from here now that it's part of Amazon and 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 I have a lot of respect for uh, Aaron Martin and others who are involved there. But uh, my point is, I think uh, we need to be thinking about letting primary care with a high degree of independent um, orientation to it, think through high value, highest value, lowest cost specialty referral, because as you and I know, that's a disproportionate driver of cost, not just in commercial, but in all lines of business. Great. Okay. A few more questions about data here. So for sure. I'm going to assume your physicians are renewing contracts with you year after year, that you're not burning them out. You have no evidence of burnout. So no, are, I mean, if, in fact, I would say we're sort of a beneficiary of what is a really tragic COVID-driven and post-COVID-driven reality around burnout. But we're seeing, uh, you know, without getting into details, as we open new markets, uh, we're seeing a lot of expression of interest to our recruiting teams. And I think, and maybe you're hearing this from others too, Ron, I think this is a very attractive alternative to a lot of providers who are really post-COVID really thinking about um, how should healthcare work and how do I want to spend my time within it? Well, I'll give you some numbers. I don't have the, nobody's studying this. There's no association of you guys. There's no uh, Gandhi that's collecting the data. There's no academic researching it. There's no journal writer that's talking about this stuff. But just based on the guests on my show, adding now your 28,000 in, we're at 23 million people that are in this model plus another 2.2 million consumers that are buying it through their local mom and pop DPC. So the direct care market has to be, if you just have a thousand person panel, um, because some of these companies are, are strictly virtual and they can do much larger panels with triage. But if you just look at a thousand per panel, we're talking, there, there have to be 20,000 white coats that are shifted over. And again, I talk after the show to CEOs like you and I say, are you having to pay hiring bonuses to these doctors that the uh, other companies are do, doing, the retailers and the uh, bigs. And they're not because doctors are basically jumping off the rat ship that's sinking. They don't want to be part of that old model anymore. I, yeah, we're generalizing, but I think that is mostly true. And I think qualitatively, particularly when we go into new markets, we are we are very much seeing that. And, and that's exciting to me in terms of how I think about not only the experience I want to create for the person, uh, but also uh, how I want to think about um, the cultural attributes of the company. I want I want us to be provider-led, uh, and I want that to be a meaningful part of how we think about what we're asking the digital solution and at times the tech-enabled services to do. All right. Now, my favorite metric. So, so I'm going to assume your doctors are renewing reliably year after year, and you have a plethora of people to hire. Yes, we, we have okay. a very low attrition. It's been a real strength of, of, of our model uh, since we put the companies together. Yeah, goodbye billing and coding, um, which is ironic because you came from Cerner, which is all about billing and coding and collecting. Y'all are y'all were one of the three giants in America collecting. Well, let okay, me just so say, my... like, let me just say quickly, just on Cerner, you know, um, I'm not um, sort of new to this space in the sense that one of my big focal points following meaningful use as president of Cerner was to build out the strategies around value-based care. So we had about a $400 million top line business that was EMR agnostic, uh, mostly technology and solutions, 
but also included a um, $100 million workforce health business that uh, had on-site, uh, near-site capabilities uh, with 42 self-insured employers. So it was never how a $5 billion company sort of made a quarter or made a year, but it was very strategic to me uh, and very formative for me in terms of health systems interest and things like provider-sponsored health plans, uh, formative for me around what makes this space hard, particularly incumbents who may not share the same ambitions that we're describing, and um, a big part of why I was so attracted to taking on the CEO role. Well, my hat's off to you for running that division. What? How many employees were engaged in the 42 employers uh, for Cerner? Uh, the, the workforce health business. So it was, uh, we did some lightweight benefits design. We did onsite near site clinics. Uh, we did TPA services in 22 States. Uh, and then most importantly, I mean, the part I was very focused on is how do you go build out? Because you mentioned Walmart and COEs. I was very interested in how do you go build out high performance network strategies for high cost procedures. For 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 employer like Cerner, maternity and live births is our number one was our number one spend area. But also we did some of that in areas like bariatric, uh, and so that's a space that I was super focused on. The workforce health business itself probably had a little less than six hundred FTEs. Six hundred. Six hundred. Yeah. I'm I'm confused. Can six hundred members? No, 600 employees. I thought you asked how many. FTEs. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. How many employees were were engaged at the workforce sites? Oh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I should know. Okay. It, but I don't. Uh, okay, no no I worries. Don't. All right. Because I mean, I've looked on this to prepare for this. I looked deep into your history, deep on that Cerner site, tried to find that number, tried to find some metrics. And I, it was all kind of buried in the giant Cerner site. Yeah, so, I should. I couldn't. There was a time when I knew it and I should know it, but I don't. All right. Well. We'll move on. So the last number is kind of my favorite one because it's, it really speaks to what I talked about at the top of the show is the per member per month savings that you're showing is up to $85 per member per month, which is exciting. I'm going to assume that your per member per month charge to your clients is somewhere in that range or lower. Uh, yeah, I don't have that data that you're looking at in front of me, but the PMPM uh, savings are, are substantial. Uh, and, uh, and I think it kind of speaks to your point around employer and employer interest. I, I do think there's growing employer interest in this space very much with a lens around demonstrable ROI. And to your point, I think increasingly an orientation around wanting to see savings, uh, in year one, but there we, we, I'd say we sort of talk about. Uh, ROI and value on on a on a thirty six month basis, and we're looking to show it demonstrably in year one. Uh, look, the, how many companies can you go to work for where you can go to a, a potential client and say, "Hey, I'm going to offer you something free," because that's kind of what you're talking about. Is it's almost a no cost opportunity. It's a low risk opportunity. Uh, I I agree that that not only to your point has uh, hard ROI associated, but as we know too, all sorts of soft ROI and productivity benefits. Not to mention, in a tight labor market, also impacts relative to how uh, the employee thinks about non-wage benefits uh, in a way that creates stickiness and retention. Look, the retention thing is huge. It's uh, I did it. I had a small company under 100 employees. 
I never lost anybody unless their husband got moved to another city. So literally 100% retention in a real basis. And then in terms of attraction, we used to have to interview dozens of young ladies to hire four medical assistants. And the last time we did it, when we started offering free healthcare, we stopped at five because we found better candidates. So not only attraction, but recruitment. Absolutely. Nobody wants to give up free healthcare. When you get something for free and it's as important as healthcare, which has been such a headache for a lot of these ladies have been on Medicaid um, and they've waited in these, you know, horrible waiting rooms for half a day, missed a half a day of work for their kids, pink eye when they could on this model have called it in and got the, you know, ear infection handled because they know what they need to take the pink eye handle because they know what they need to take, you know, the cough, you don't need to go in for everything when the kids got the same thing they had, you know, seven months ago. So it's a, well, it's I, a beautiful I, convenience. I think that's right. And, and again, we, we love the idea of continuity uh, in that relationship, Ron, so that I have context around you uh, and, um, and can make informed decisions with you around next best action. And, you know, my, my view, I know there's a lot of digital only uh, models in this space, but my view is that um, uh, a pre is at its best when we actually have a, an ability to offer uh, both virtual and in-person capabilities in a way that meets the preference of the member. So when I think about what we're doing around behavioral health, uh, I can support both of those workflows, both virtual and in-person, and I let the member's preference around approach drive that. And and that's you know the problem. The problem with healthcare is um, it's a system and name only. And, and so the systems thinking is, is either non-existent or wrong. It needs to be organized around the person. And increasingly, I think the data and the technology are at a point where they can allow us to operate both in a virtual and in-person uh, model that creates the right experience and the right outcomes for the person. Well, look, I, I wanna thank you for a very informative show, very helpful. Can't wait to watch you guys grow way beyond JP into the rest of the world that needs this badly. And uh, I'm going to ask you a final question I like to ask everybody. First of all, how do people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to me, they can send me an uh, email uh, at don at apri.health. Uh, so uh, fairly simple. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to hear from anyone. I'm super passionate about this space. Uh, like you, and so I'm happy to hear with anyone, uh, hear hear from anyone, and talk to anyone that wants to reach out. Well, welcome to the big stage. This is an exciting time to be in uh, healthcare in this in this field. So, if you could fly a banner overhead in America, what would that message be to to all Americans? Uh, to all Americans, or specific to my company? I would be specific to your company if I were flying yeah. a banner. That's an expensive banner. Um, uh, look, uh, we we think that. The right definition inside employer-based insurance in the commercial space is best-in-class engagement plus advanced primary care. Those two things, when we bring them together, Ron, create um, the right set of experiences for the person and the right set of outcomes for us to tackle the crisis of affordability that's playing out in healthcare. And that's what we're waking up uh, and working on every morning as an organization. And it's a uh, it's a super fun place to wake up. Thank you again for being on the show. We'll check in with you in about a year.
Ron, and, thank uh, you so much. And uh, I'm super appreciative of you having me. And um, thank you for all you're doing to promote uh, the value proposition around primary care. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.